0: parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the punch. Oh, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the punch. Classes in session. Please be seated. Behaviors that get attention get repeated. Avoid the power struggle because it will get you heated. Listen to Amanda because she knows how to teach it. Yo, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the punch. Oh, this ain't parents out with the pun
1: Hello, and welcome to Parenting with a Punch show. I am your host, Amanda Hool, founder of parentingwithapunch.com. Uh, visit my website to learn about all the ways that you can work with me and check out my iFund Women's Campaign that's helping me uh, find a space to be able to host these amazing uh, podcast bi-weekly with guests from all over the country. I am excited to bring on Eliza Wagner uh, from the founder of ES Tutoring and Consulting. So let's please give her a warm welcome. Hello.
2: thank you for having me.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much for being on the show today. Happy Monday. (laughs)
2: Thanks.
1: (laughs) So let's tell all of our viewers Uh, about ES tutoring, where you're located, and the type of services that you provide?
2: Sure, so uh, ES tutoring and consulting provides uh, one-on-one services for students in all subjects K-12, and we do a lot of work with students um, who struggle with executive functioning, study skills, organization, we do ADHD coaching, um, and the coaching actually goes up through college and even beyond and we work right now primarily on the south shore of boston but we service the boston metro area and we also offer remote tutoring through skype or um any other video conference so we have a wide range of areas we can serve
1: fabulous so now where do you typically meet do you go to the client's homes do you go to do you have like certain like the library or different mm-hmm. depending on what the family wants?
2: Yeah, so we do both client's homes or the library right now. And um, as of the summer, we should have an office space where we can also be meeting with students.
1: Excellent. Really cool. Really cool. So I'd love to hear some about, um, we'll talk all about growth mindset, because I know that's a lot of the work that you do, especially with executive functioning, because that sort of plays a role in in all areas of development, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> um, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about some of the the ADHD coaching. Or I guess that's tied in, right, with the executive functioning, of course, correct?
2: Yeah, there is a range. So a lot of students can struggle with executive functioning without any sort of ADHD diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a spectrum. Um a, a student with ADHD will likely have um a, a different, slightly different set of needs. Executive functioning is one piece of it, but then there's also attention and focus and Um, a few other pieces of ADHD that are a little bit different so it's everything we do is customized to the student. so we don't have a prepackaged approach or a set curriculum every single thing we do is customized and built in sessions with the kids so it's important for us that the student has ownership over what we're doing and is sort of an equal partner in creating it so even if we end up creating you know a template for writing an outline that's almost the same in the end (laughs) it's very important that it's not a handout we just give to the student but something they help us build because then they see the process they have decisions they get to make about how it's set up um even the layout and the wording of it is you know more theirs yeah um, so we really don't have a sort of this is what we do with um with kids with executive functioning for example no. um, you know there's patterns and similarities but it's really customized to the student and their needs
1: yeah no that's great because i think you hear so much, you know, especially in schools, you know, and and as we, I'm sure we can both agree that the support for executive functioning is not always um, the best or as like one-to-one as we would like in the school system. And I think a lot of families probably, you know, when they hear executive functioning or like they hear, you know, that their child needs support in academics that they automatically think that there's like a one size fits all.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: And I no, I totally agree. So I love hearing that that that's your approach and and how you go about it, because every single child is unique. Right. And Absolutely. they all learn so differently. And one approach that you use might not work with it, with another. You have to be able to, you know, transform or like, you know, work with the child and, and how that and how he learns. Right.
2: Yeah. So I will say there are some things teachers can do in the classroom that will help students with executive functioning Mm -hmm. and will actually benefit all students. So um, there's some pretty simple things that, you know, students who are really struggling and maybe have a diagnosis, they absolutely require those interventions or accommodations, but they'll actually benefit all students. Um, So things like using checklists or graphic organizers or creating sort of interim deadlines to scaffold a longer term project. Showing students models of this is what we're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, Having all feedback for students, all directions, be both verbal and written. Um, Little things like that aren't that hard to implement. It's not a drastic change. It doesn't require like one-to-one work. And it's, you know, essential for students with executive functioning challenges just to be able to kind of access the material and and show their skills. Mm -hmm. But it's helpful for every student. It's helpful for adults, right? We need checklists.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Especially as business owners, right? I mean, we, we constantly have to be like planning out our weeks and scheduling in where our clients are and, you know, certain things that we have to do. That's part of the, yeah, absolutely. It's a, I actually say to a lot of my clients, I'm like, if I, if I had somebody that could like give support and I had all these organizational tools when I was your age, I'm like, I would be golden. (laughs) You have no idea the, the kind of, you know, support that that you have now and like how beneficial yep. it is and how much it will serve you as an adult.
2: I just feel like there's sort of a myth around, um, you know, incorporating teaching executive skills in the classroom, that it's this mm-hmm. giant undertaking that involves curriculum overhaul or involves a huge amount of one-to-one instruction, which is obviously not realistic.
1: Right. Um,
2: and some kids still require that, but in general, there's some really simple and easy, you know, little adjustments you can make to existing curriculum that will just kind of make it easier for, for all of the students. So I just wanted to say that, you know, it's not necessarily, um, something that, that teachers can't do easily every day, you know, just as a different way of thinking about it.
1: Absolutely. And I think it, it's probably tough too, depending on like what their training is. And if they don't necessarily, I mean, you would think that most teachers would, you know, know to sort of implement some of these things, but I think their experience and working. In schools like all over New York and you know in Massachusetts and New Hampshire, that some just don't have that that training, or they they don't really know like how to respond or what to do with with kiddos that struggle with some of these things, and they automatically I think get frustrated naturally, and you know it's it's a bummer, but um, I think and then there's
2: not much time built into their day for planning, and there's usually little to no time built in for collaboration, so. Right. One of the best ways to get ideas about meeting the needs of a diverse set of learners is to be able to meet with other teachers and say, "Hey, what do you do?" Or, "Hey, do you have any ideas for how I could do this?" And and right. teachers do not they don't have that time. They barely have time to prep for their own classes.
1: Yeah, so. yeah, it's it's, it's it. tough. It, it is really tough. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about like growth mindset because you had said that you know when you're working with your kiddos, um, you know, you're really trying to teach them all about like. Progress and you know having that I guess more of like that positive mindset right and knowing that that support so I'd love to hear your thoughts on that and like your approach with with growth growth mindset.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So um, Carol Dweck is the one who's written extensively about growth mindset. Um, so you can go to her for the source. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the basic idea is that um, students or people in general, adults too, who have a fixed mindset tend to believe that certain capabilities or skills are inherent from birth and Mm -hmm. aren't really changeable that even something like iq is is fixed and not really changeable and so that will show up in students as them saying things like i'm just not good at math or i'm bad at grammar in a way Mm -hmm. that that's a a belief that it's permanent right this is just a a deficit i have um Mm -hmm. whereas somebody with growth mindset will believe that all of those skills can be improved with practice primarily Um, and so they're more likely to say, you know, I'm really struggling with this, but I know I can work at it and improve and that my skills are not sort of inherent, (laughs) but, um, more related to whether I like that subject, whether I'm interested and motivated to practice it a lot and how often I practice it. Right. So the student who says I'm just bad at grammar, I say, well, do you like grammar? No how often do you practice grammar, right? As little as they possibly can. And so um, a lot of the growth mindset work is about helping students reflect on their process and think about sort of what Mm -hmm. are the systems they're putting in place, right? So um, with a grammar analogy, I I sometimes compare it to if I wanted to learn how to surf and I surf twice this year and it was a miserable (laughs) failure both times, does that mean I was born bad at surfing? or does that mean I just haven't really put in the, the time and the practice to improve? Um, and so that's right. sort of how I, how I help students understand that. So in terms of more concrete ideas for how I incorporate that into my work with students, if they have a low grade on a, on a test or an essay, um, we don't just sort of say to the student, well, you need to work harder, you need to study longer, right? It's about, well, how did you prepare for this test? Mm-hmm. And which parts of the test did you maybe do better at than others? So maybe on this test, um, you really did well with the multiple choice section, but the open responses were harder. And then we look at your process and, oh, look, you spent a lot of time, you know, using flashcards and Quizlet to memorize the information, but what did you do to prepare for the open response section, right? So right. it's not that they're bad at those sections, it's that their preparation didn't really um, prepare them for that that section of the test. Right.
1: Um, Set them up for so, the class, right? <laughs>
2: And teaching kids to reflect on their own process and slowly develop the metacognitive skills to to analyze what's working and and what can i change and that it's not that there's something wrong with me or i just can't do this you know i can change my systems and have a different outcome and maybe i will never be you know a grammar superstar (laughs) but i can get better right i'm not just bad at it i i can improve but one of the most important pieces of this for me too is not just taking the low grade and analyzing sort of what went wrong what you could do differently it's equally if not more important to take that a grade and say so what worked let's look at how you prepared or how you wrote this essay or what your process was and what led to this success and so students get a sense of well what do you what do you want to keep doing what do you want to make sure you do again next time and i feel like um parents and teachers are, are more likely to sort of gloss over the a or the b even and just be like great work but then the CDF, they're like, okay, we really need to, you know, you really need to do better. You really need to work harder. And then the students go home and say, well, what does that mean? I don't, I, I feel like I am working hard and not getting the outcome I want. And so they get frustrated. Their confidence plummets. And that's where they right. start you know, these myths. They tell themselves about, I'm just bad at this. I'm bad at writing, that kind of thing. Um, and that's, that's not true. And it's not about working harder. It's usually about working differently. So if, yes. if the way you're preparing for this test is not an effective method, you could spend 16 hours studying for this test and it's not gonna make a difference. It's not about right. sort of time <laughs> input, right? It's about working mm-hmm. strategically and efficiently. And a lot of that has to do with understanding their you know, unique brain wiring, their learning style, and then right. sort of customizing um, whatever the strategy is around writing, or around test preparation for that student. And they can right. usually actually work for shorter periods of time and be much more successful.
1: Yes. Yeah, and you touched upon the self-esteem, which I was gonna say you would agree that a lot of this is self-confidence and kids, you know, like you said, the teachers, you know, they're giving the negative feedback with the D's and the S's and then you know, the A's and the B's, they're not either way, they're not really giving feedback as to like how they could try better, like ways to be able to try and improve. So naturally the child is gone. Kind of, think badly about themselves and they're gonna think like that they can't do it. Like you said, like the fixed mindset over the growth mindset and probably working on like building their self-esteem and confidence through probably creating the systems that work for them, I would say. Right. And then you see the the difference and like their boosts and they're like, oh I can do this.
2: And it's not that there's something wrong with me. It's the way I I learn is, you know, square peg round hole. It's not really the way that my classes are taught. And students you know usually come to me having struggled quite a bit and they're looking around at their classmates that they perceive to be not struggling and you know things are coming easily to them and that's not always true right you don't really know somebody's internal experience right uh, but they still feel like you know what's wrong with me why can't i do this and everybody else seems to be able to do this and they're often not given any feedback especially with writing assignments i've noticed that students will just get a grade and they won't get any sort of written comments or a rubric or feedback on how to improve Sometimes right. they won't even, you know, on a midterm exam with a writing portion and some other portions, they won't even actually know what led to their grade. They won't know how they did on the different portions. Right. And then students who've been struggling for a while develop, you know, maladaptive coping strategies. They tend to procrastinate mm-hmm. a lot because it's uncomfortable, so they avoid it. Um, right. With executive functioning challenges, don't know how to break it down into manageable steps. Yes. And, um, and, you know, they're not confident, so they, they try to avoid. And then parents see that. And what it looks like on the outside is a student who's, you know, on YouTube all afternoon. And so then the parent feels that their child is lazy, undisciplined, again, just needs to work harder. Mm -hmm. And even though, yes, it looks like the student's not working at all, there's a whole different internal experience happening that's actually usually pretty painful for the student. And that's not to say some students aren't, you know slightly immature, impulsive, and just want to, you know, everybody would rather be on YouTube than studying Um, But there's always more to it than that. You know, there's a bunch of different root causes for procrastination and Mm -hmm. uncovering what the root cause is will help you determine how best to help that student. But no matter what, helping them develop a belief system that they're lazy and not working hard enough is never going to be effective. And then students internalize that um Yeah, and it could even <laughs> just be teacher that sort of plants that seed. It's not even necessarily mm-hmm. the parents, and then that's just it grows from there. You know?
1: No, it's true because you do your hear, you hear kids yeah. use the term lazy, and I think I'm echoing, but it's fine. You get to hear my voice in double. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like where do you hear this word lazy? Like what? Like why do you think you're lazy? You know? And and, and it's true that they're internalizing it. Now, do you find that? um Do you find that it can be difficult to sort of like communicate with the parents, you know, with this, this mindset piece, as far as like, they communicating to the child that they're lazy and having like, do they seem to understand when you sort of like break it down sometimes? Is it, I'm sure it's probably, I'm sure you probably get all, all ends of the spectrum as far as some that have a harder time probably processing and and realizing, right?
2: absolutely and a a big piece of the work i do both with students and with parents is infused with a deep understanding of psychology and you know child and adolescent development being able to read people i do a lot of parent coaching and you have to be able to sort of read the parent and understand Mm -hmm. what sort of feedback maybe they're open to or ready for and sort of how to present it so some parents come to me and from the get-go are eager for my feedback, will basically, right. you know, follow any suggestion I give, ask questions, mm-hmm. you know, are really open to those um, those suggestions and that feedback. Other parents right. have, uh, you know, a slightly different sort of perspective on what they think is going on with their child. And right. sometimes I, I get the feeling that, um, you know, I, I can't come in strong right away. I need to sort of build more of a rapport, a sense of trust, help them start to again sort of trust in my expertise and then Mm -hmm. find ways to sort of more slowly and gently um, intervene in hoping to you know shift their mindset. So sometimes it's in the course of a phone call, I can say, well, I think there's more going on. Hey, there's this article that I think might be really helpful for you to read and then send it to them. And then that can open the door for more conversation. So there's a range parents want, help for their child you know they want their child to succeed they want the best mm-hmm. for their child and so ultimately I found all parents are open to suggestions and guidance mm-hmm. um, but for some it's um, just a slower process you know like with anybody um, right. we need to be ready for it before we can really hear it and respond to it and same thing yeah. with students you know some students come to me highly resistant
0: and I mm-hmm. asked
2: them about sort of what their goals are, what they're struggling with, why they're here. And they're like, I don't know. My parent made me, they forced forcing <laughs> me to come. I don't want to be here. Um, <laughs> I'm being <yeah>. forced. <laughs> exactly. And that doesn't usually last long. You know, at the initial stages of working with a family, it's all about, you know, getting to know each other and building rapport. Um, yeah. some students, that takes longer than others, but we're we're well equipped to handle that.
1: <laughs> absolutely so what what's the number one concern that you would say that you hear from parents when it like when they're reaching out for services
2: study skills yeah absolutely study skills whether there's any sort of diagnosis or learning disability or not you know even students without those challenges teachers tend to not explicitly teach study skills so well
1: yeah <laughs> <'Cause> they, have <laughs> right? teach, they have to teach for the curriculum right they have like no room
2: and, you know, even within that, teachers will say study for tomorrow's test, but not break down. Well, how do you study for a test? Right. Um, even, you know, some of the the best teachers will give, um, you know, a comprehensive study guide before a test, which is awesome. But then mm-hmm. the student doesn't necessarily know what to do with the study guide. Um, right. And their way of studying is to reread notes or reread the textbook. And that's mm-hmm. a passive way of learning. And you're not really going to retain too much. And right. you really can't do that for every single thing. You know, with a study guide, the first step is, well, look through it and think about which material do I feel confident that I know well, and which material do I know I need to really spend the most time on, and mm-hmm. then prioritize, right? right. And that's, you know, Even that simple task, a lot of students are never taught. And right. some students can pick up on the study skills a little bit more implicitly and just kind of figure it out along the way. And some students really need it spelled out much more, right. um, you know, step by step. And... There aren't generally classes on how to organize your binder, how to use a planner, how to make sure your backpack isn't exploding by the end of the week. Um, You know, how to create your own checklist. You know, none of that is really incorporated into the classroom. And part of me understands because, you know, there's a set curriculum and there's limited time. There's also part of me that feels like there are some really simple, quick and easy ways that you can do some of that um right. realistically of course you're not going to take your math class to reorganize everybody's binders and backpacks I get that um okay. but you know there are a little bit um I think a little bit more ways that that teachers you know even just saying okay tomorrow's test brainstorm ideas you know tell me call on the class how do you think you could prepare for tomorrow's test what are all the different things you could do and make a quick list right. on the board um making sure kids are recording their homework in their planner um yeah that's a big one <laughs>
1: Yeah, that that is a big one. And I, and I see, you know, even kids that are on 504 and, and IAPs, um, sometimes it still seems to be a struggle, which I, I mean, I, I get it because they have a full classroom, right? And depending on whether or not if they even have an assistant or, you know, depending on the, the classroom structure. Yeah, it can be hard.
2: And as students get into middle and high school, then a lot of the homework assignments are posted online. Right. But what I see often is not every teacher is posting them online. So... Sometimes yep. students get a handout and mm-hmm. there's no written homework. They just know that they have a handout to do. Some teachers will write the homework on, on the board at the end of class. Some teachers will right. post online, but even then some will post to Google classroom and then right. some will post, you know, on the schools, on the scr- portals. Or, so yeah. there's, you know, four different possible ways that the homework is delivered. And mm-hmm. students, especially at the beginning, are, they don't remember to check all of these different, and then right. there's, you know, study guides sometimes are posted in Google Classroom, sometimes on Plus Portals, sometimes handed out. Um, so that's, you know, for a student with executive functioning challenges, that's a nightmare for any student. That's yeah. a, a learning curve. And that's right. there isn't a class on how to do that. You know, so right. the study skills are probably the number one request, because that also informs everything that has to do with test preparation. That has to yep. do with success with writing. Um, and just general, you know, being able to submit homework assignments on time. Um, and that's, you know, as students, that's really their only obstacle is they're doing right. poorly because they're so inconsistent with homework. So yeah. that's that's the number one issue that we see. <laughs>
1: um, now, if you were to give one suggestion to um, parents that were like thinking about reaching out to get that support, what would you say? Um, what would you say to them?
2: Uh, I, I mean, first of all, the support is always beneficial. So, yeah. you know, okay. sometimes parents sort of wait until it's a bigger problem. You know, they're optimistic that things will improve. And that sometimes happens. Um, yeah. Or some parents, I think, have a belief somehow that tutoring services are only for either dire situations or for students with some sort of diagnosis or learning disability. Right. Um, but really, any student can benefit. And when in doubt, if, if there are concerns you know, the earlier you get the support in place, the more successful the student will be. Um, So, and you don't have to continue it, right? It doesn't have to be a long-term. You know, I had one student, a college student, I think I met with her four or five times and then she didn't meet me anymore. She was, you know, it's a little easier maybe with older kids, but you know, she was (laughs) lost and good to go for the year. Um, And that's not always, you know, typically the case, but, but, you know, with anybody, the earlier you, you get the support in place, the better the outcome. And then maybe, you know, the child only needs, you know, a handful of sessions or a few months of support and then, you know, they can take it from there. So don't That's wait. What? That would be my biggest advice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I agree. Cause it is, I mean, even in my line of work, you hear it all the time, um, especially with the parents of younger children, you know, they think that it's going to go away or they think that it's going to get better with age or they're going to grow out of it. And then I get the families that are, you know, eight, nine, 10, even a little bit older that they're like still struggling. You know, with behaviors, and it's like, well, I mean, you 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 knew you should have listened to your instinct (laughs) when you were younger, right? And now it's going to be that much more difficult, and you're struggling even more. (laughs) So it's true.
2: Even if the student does grow out of it, it doesn't need to be a struggle for the whole family until then, right? So, you know, (laughs) again, even if there's no diagnosis and you know, no huge concerns. It also shouldn't have to be, you know, often, especially by the, you know, preteen years, it becomes a battle, a big source of conflict at home, you know, Mm -hmm. or or just the student, even if it's not, the student is having kind of a hard time and waiting for them to grow out of it for a lot of kids is what they need, right? The frontal lobe needs to develop (laughs) a lot more before they have these skills, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be such a struggle along the way. It doesn't have to result in low confidence. I
1: agree. More empowerment for our kids and for our parents. Families in general. So, i for anyone that is interested in um, learning more about ES tutoring. Um, you can visit es tutoring.com if I will show it. <laughs> it pops up. <laughs> yeah, I've been doing this for how long? Let's see. Does it show? Come on. Okay. <laughs> But I did say So it's ESTutoring.com and I am trying to show it, <laughs> but it's fine. It'll be transferred over to um, audio anyway. So ESTutoring.com for anyone that is interested in learning more about working with Eliza. Um, and her staff at estutoringandconsulting.com. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It was such a pleasure speaking with you and learning all about the services that you provide that are so detriment and important for our children and to help support families. So thank you for everything that you do.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Have a great day. Thanks, you too that was your bi-weekly show with my amazing guest, Eliza parenting with a punch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, keep asking for more. You deserve it. Your family deserves it. And your children deserve it.
0: Yo, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the punch. Oh, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, Parenting with the punch. Classes in session, please be seated. Behaviors that get attention get repeated. Avoid the power struggle, cause it will get you heated. Listen to Amanda, cause she knows how to teach it. Yo, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the punch. Oh, this ain't parents out to lunch. No, this is parenting with the